All right, turn with me, if you would, to Acts chapter 13. We're going to be looking at verses 1 to 3 this morning of Acts 13. Um, I mentioned last week that uh, about a week and a half ago, we had a, fa- a close family that we're close to, and they had a daughter who, when we were at that church with them, she was in high school, college age, and um, she, about a week and a half ago, she was killed instantly in a car accident. She was 32. Um, I've also mentioned to you before that I th- I'm pretty sure, I went back and looked at my sermon notes and I couldn't find it, but I'm pretty sure I've used this as in a ser- sermon illustration or I've shared it with some of you in conversation. But this young lady, her name was Chelsea, and Chelsea was somebody who um, just had a heart for Christ, had a heart for people, had a heart for going to places anywhere in the world where God would call her and sharing the gospel with people. Um, and her mom, when she was in college, her mom emailed me one time and said, Chelsea wants to go on this missions trip, and I can't remember where, but it was a country where it's, it's a hostile country, it's hostile toward Christians, it's hostile toward people from the West, and she wanted to go on this missions trip, and her mom was concerned. Now, her mom was also a very missions-minded person, had a heart for people, but she was concerned about her daughter's safety. And, and what Chelsea said to her was, Mom, if I go over there and I die, then I die serving Christ on the mission field doing what I love. And then I go to heaven. And so her mom emailed me and told me that conversation and said to me, what do I say? And I'm like, I don't know. You can't really argue with it, you know. But that was Chelsea's heart. She did not allow uncertainty to govern her life, but rather she loved Jesus, and her love for Jesus helped her to trust him, and that was what governed her life. So this morning we're going to be looking at God calling Barnabas and Saul to the work that he has set set them apart for, and there's a lot of uncertainty, and so as we go through our lives. I'm hoping that as we go through our lives and there's uncertainty about our future, there's uncertainty about sometimes what God calls us to do. I'm hoping that we can look at this text today and see a little bit more about who God is so that we can learn to trust him in uh, even though something is uncertain or we don't have all the details that we want to make us comfortable. So if you have your place in Acts 13, would you please stand if you're able to and honor God as we read his word. So Barnabas and Saul have now come, they've left Jerusalem, they're now back in Antioch. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. Let's pray. God, as we look at this text, I just pray that you would help us to learn to trust you. Um, There was a lot of unknowns here, um, but Barnabas and Saul trusted you, and they trusted you with the uncertainties. 
Um, we, have, we all have people in our lives who are examples of people of real faith who will take steps of faith even though those things would make us anxious. Um, I just pray that after today, after we look at this text, that maybe we uh, will trust you a little bit more than we did when we came in here this morning so that our future, which everything in our future is uncertain. We never know what the next moment is going to bring. But we can trust in you because you do and you're in control and you've demonstrated your love for us. So please teach us uh, deeper faith and trust in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Go ahead and have a seat. All right, so... As we get into this, uh, the first point in your notes is going to be what was certain. As we look at our text, there are, there are things that we know for sure. And there are things that we don't know. But we're going to first look at what do we know for sure from, our, from what Luke gives us in Acts chapter 13. And the first thing that we know for sure is that the Holy Spirit directed them, directed Barnabas and Saul and the church in Antioch. Um, now, we stopped in verse 3, but there are two places, if you include verse 4, where we see that the Holy Spirit is the one doing this. Uh, verse 2 tells us that the Holy Spirit told them to set them apart for the work to which he's called them. And then in verse 4 confirms that again, um, which we will pick up in next week, but verse 4 says, being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down and took off. So, so we have two places that Luke gives us re- at the beginning of this that confirms to us that the Holy Spirit is the one calling Barnabas and Saul to this work and calling the church in Antioch to, to uh, send them off. So one th- that's one thing we know for certain. The Holy Spirit is in the midst of this. Um, something else we see in our text is that the church is unified in this. The church is unified in this because verse 3 tells us that the church sent them off. So the Holy Spirit came to them, told them to set them apart. The church fasted and prayed over that, over that decision or that action, and then they sent them off. So the Holy Spirit called them. The church is unified in that call, and the church sends them as well. So this excuse me, allows us to see um, the important role that God has given the church. Um, it's not just, you know, we, we don't just come here and we do our thing and, and we don't have any kind of significance in the outcome of the things that God is doing in history as he's working to redeem a people for himself. He's got an important role for the church. The Holy Spirit called the church to set them apart. The church fasted and prayed over that action. And then in obedience to the Holy Spirit, they sent them out in conjunction with the Holy Spirit. So both the Holy Spirit and the church were significant role players in this, in this action. And both are necessary. It, it's a dangerous thing for someone to venture out into some form of ministry without the calling of the Holy Spirit and the confirmation of that call from the church. Um, God has given the Holy Spirit to dwell within us and to equip us with the gifts needed to do ministry. And God has also given us the church to confirm our calling, to help mature us in our faith and our walk with Christ, 
to help equip us for that calling and to support us uh, in the necessary ways to accomplish the calling. So kingdom ministry is a work, that work is a joint effort of the church working in the power of the Spirit to reach the ends of the earth. Now, I'm not saying that you can't go off and like start a prayer group at work or start a Bible study at work or you can't go off and share the gospel without first coming and getting the confirmation of the church to go out and do that. Um, What I'm talking about here is some kind of major specific calling that God is sending you out, um, like to go to the mission field or to to start a ministry up from ground zero that's going to take a lot of work. And those, those types of things, the Holy Spirit gives a specific calling. There are ge- there's a general calling to all of us. We're all supposed to share the gospel. We're all supposed to be praying for people. We're all supposed to be um, uh, having compassion on those who don't know the Lord and need the Lord. Um, and then there are specific callings and those things that take, take effort and, uh, and are going to be targeted by the evil one are things that we want to make sure that we are in support of each other for. And so, um, and, and obviously, if we have one of those ministries where if you start a prayer group at your work or a Bible study at work and you begin to notice that you've become a target, then come back to the church and say, hey, here's a ministry that I've gotten involved in. I need support because Satan has put a target on my back. Um, Ministry, anytime you do ministry, you are going to be a threat to the evil one. And when you're a threat to him, he tries to put a stop to it. And he usually puts the pressure on you. He He might launch some kind of temptation or or attack on you. And He's going to do everything he can to break you so that you will stop that. So it is vital that the Holy Spirit's involved in our ministries and that the church is in support of those ministries and confirming that. That's one of the things uh, that's wonderful about the church. It's a beautiful thing that God has given us. So we know that God called them to missions, and we know for certain that the Holy Spirit was a part of it. The church was in connection with the Holy Spirit in that in that action. But how, how did they know, how did they know with absolute certainty? Because there are lots of times that I think, I think God's calling me to do this, but I don't know. How did they know with absolute certainty? One of them we've already talked about, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. We, God has given us a spirit, and the spirit is to teach us and to grow us to counsel us when we are in need of counsel, um, to comfort us when we, are, when we are struggling or we're going through trials or we're suffering, um, undergoing spiritual warfare. The Holy Spirit has been given to us for a number of things to help us accomplish ministry. And so they knew with absolute certainty because, and, and this is something that God, is, God has given us as well, He's given his very spirit to live in them and live in us to guide us and direct us to to bring forth the truths of his word and teach us how to apply them to life. The other thing is that they were fasting and praying when he called them. And that's an important thing. They were fasting and praying when the spirit called them. 
And I want you to notice that the Holy Spirit spoke clearly to the church in Antioch to set them aside. He made that very clear while they were fasting and praying. When we are in prayer, and communi- the more you communicate with God in prayer, the more you will learn to hear and understand his voice. When you fast, you are giving up something that you need so that your senses become more in tune with God. Um, if you've ever, if you've ever like been driving and your kids are watching a movie and you can't see it, you've lost one of your senses in terms of seeing the movie, you begin, you begin to hear things that you, you didn't hear the, when you watched it the two or three or ten times before that. Because your eyes are taking in some, your ears are taking in some, but when you lose one of those, you be, your ears become fine-tuned. When you, when you neglect something or purposely set aside something that you need, God uses that time to bring you in tune with him um, to be able to understand him more and you immerse yourself in the word and in prayer. And while they were fasting and praying, the Holy Spirit came at that time when they were in tune with him and said, set them apart. So those are disciplines, fasting and prayer disciplines that the church, uh, they're important disciplines for the church to be practicing. I think in general, the church in America does a good job with prayer. I mean, we have prayer committees, we have prayer meetings, we um, have prayer chains that we send out if something comes up that we, we weren't expecting. We gather together on Sundays and we we have times of prayer. We lift each other up in prayer. That's not, that's not something that we, I mean, we could always do more and we could always grow in our prayer life, but we do a pretty good job putting it, an emphasis on prayer. Fasting is one of those things that I don't think the church in America does a great job with. We need to probably do that more often because it's an important part of walking with God. Um, Jesus fasted. His, God calls his people to fast at times when they are in a spe- specific need. Um, so I, today's not a sermon on fasting. I don't have time to go into that, but maybe something that we need to consider and, and look into more in the future so that we can, uh, so that we're not neglecting something that would be an important part of our walk. Um, so notice that the Holy Spirit spoke to them when they were fasting and praying. And I want you to also notice that the call was clear set them aside for this work, but um, the details were not clear, at least what Luke has given us. Maybe there was more to it than what Luke has given us, but what we see in Scripture is the call was clear, but set them aside to what? What are they going to do? Where are they supposed to go? You know, so, so the call was clear, but the details were not, and it sounds a lot like um, when God called Abram, God came in, in Genesis chapter 12 and called Abram to go from his father's house. And so that was clear. I want you to leave your father's house. What was not clear was where. Because if, if Abram asked God, where am I going? God's answer was to a place I will show you. Well, could you point me in north, south, east, west at least? So I have an idea. God says Go and I'll get you to where I want you to be. So sometimes God's call is clear, but his details 
about that calling or not. And that brings us to point number two. We know what was certain. Now let's look in our text to see what was uncertain. And the first one is, where do we go? God said, set them apart to the work I'm going to do. Well, what is that? Where am I going? How am I going to do this? Um, And I I mentioned Abram in Genesis chapter 12 as an example of where God has done this in other places. There are a couple other places I want to share with you too. Exodus chapter 3. Exodus chapter 3 is where Moses is uh, speaking to God in the burning bush. God's called Moses to go back to Egypt to confront Pharaoh, which is a frightening thing. He was the most powerful person in the world at the time. He didn't like to be confronted. Go confront Pharaoh, and I'm going to, through you, I'm going to lead my people. And estimates are about two, around two million people at the time. I'm going to, through you, I'm going to lead two million people out of Egyptian slavery. And what God told Moses in verse 12 of chapter 3 of Exodus is he said, Here's how I'm going, here's a sign I'm going to give you. I'm going to confirm to you that it's me calling you. After you take them out, you're going to come back to this mountain and worship me, which is great. I love confirmation after I've done something to know that God is pleased with what I've done, to know that it was beneficial to those who needed something or whatever. That's wonderful. I also, if I'm going to be confronting the most powerful person in the world, I'd kind of like some confirmation ahead of time. But God says, Here's, what, here's my call. You're going to have to trust me, and I will confirm it afterward. After the action, I will confirm it. Um, another example that we see is First uh, Kings verses 1 to 3. God called Solomon to be king after his father David passed away. And Solomon tells God, I don't, I don't know how to do this. I don't know how to govern your people. You've put me, you've put me in, on the throne as king, but... I don't know what to do. And so Solomon asked God for wisdom, and we know God granted that in abundance to him. So sometimes our calling is clear, but how to accomplish it is is not. And so Barnabas and Saul were not told, at least for what we know from the text, we're not told where to go. The Holy Spirit was going to have to lead them. The, another thing that was uncertain for them is, how are our needs going to be provided for? How, how are you going to make sure that we, you know, we're, we're going, we're going to be traveling, we're not going to be at home where we can raise food for ourselves, where we can set up some kind of a business to provide for ourselves. How are you going to provide for our needs? And um, we're going to get into that in a minute, but I will just say this. Saul would one day later write to a church in Philippi, and he would say that he has learned how to be content no matter what the circumstances are that God brings his way. So, we're, and we're going to get into that in a minute, but, and some of that's experience. Paul, Saul becomes Paul, and Paul writes a lot of times about how I've gone through this, and I've gone through this, and I've gone through this, and, you know, good times, bad times, easy times, hard times, um, but I've learned I've learned that God is going to make sure that I'm okay. And I've learned to trust him in that. So those were the things that were uncertain. And those are some big things, especially where do we go? Like there are times that I hear God say, I want you to do this. And I'm like, 
okay, but I know zero about how to go about doing this. I, I don't even know how to start. And God, in his timing, makes sure that I hear his voice and I know when to do it, how to do it at the right time. So point number three is for our lives today, how do we trust God in times of uncertainty? Either when he calls us to something and he doesn't give us all the details. And I don't know about you, I'm a detail person. When you give me directions somewhere, I'm not an, I, I don't handle directions well if you're going to say northeast, southwest. So I want like lots of landmarks. When, I, when I'm looking at a map, I want to be able, I want all the details I need to know to get from here to here. So when God calls me to something and he doesn't give me details, that's hard for me. So how do we trust God when he calls us and, and the details are uncertain? Or how do we trust God when we just don't know what the future holds? Um, well, I'm going to run through eight things with you. Eight things that I want you to remind yourself of when you find yourself being anxious over something that's unknown. The first thing is trust that he is omniscient. That means all-knowing. Trust that he is omniscient. Psalm 147, verses 4 and 5, tell us that God knows the number of the stars. He knows how many are out there, and not only does he know how many are out there, but he's named them all. He knows them and calls them by name. Matthew 10.30 tells us that God knows and has numbered the hairs on our head. So if God knows that depth of detail, we can trust that he is omniscient. He's going to know everything. He knows so much more than what our minds can even grasp about the situation ahead of us. So the first thing is that trust that he's omniscient. The second thing, trust that he's omnipotent, which means all-powerful. Trust that he's omnipotent. Genesis 45, verse 5, tells us not only is God all-knowing and he knows the future, but he's also in control of it. So he knows what's ahead that we can't see or understand or know. And not only does he know it, but he's in absolute control of every, of every detail of it. Jeremiah 29, 11 God knows the future that he's planned for his people. Now, Jeremiah 29, 11 is frequently pulled out of context and quoted in inappropriate ways. That's where God says, I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Um, what is ignored normally is the context of what's around that verse. The context is his people are in exile and they've, they've gotten to the point where their disobedience has, God has removed his blessings from them because that was part of the covenant in the Old Testament. You disobey, I will bring curses upon you. You obey, I'll bring blessings upon you. And so they disobeyed for long enough and God sent them into exile, removed his blessings from them. But God is telling them, but you just be content with what I have you doing right now because I know the plans I have for you in the future, and the future plans for you are not to harm you, 
there to make you flourish. But you need to just trust in me. So Jeremiah 29, 11 helps us understand that God is omnipotent. He knows what's going to happen and he's in control of what's going to happen. Number three, trust that he is omnipresent, which means everywhere present. Trust that he is omnipresent. Proverbs 15, 3 tells us that his eyes are everywhere keeping watch. God is able, and this is, this is something our minds have a hard time grasping because we are finite people. We have, a, we have a physical body. We cannot be in more than one place at one time. But God is everywhere all at the same time. He sees everything that goes on. So he's omnipresent. We see examples of that in the Gospels where Jesus is in one place and he heals somebody who's in another, another town. And the people go back and they find out that they were healed the very moment that he said, go, your servant is healed or your son is healed or whoever. So God is omnipresent. Number four, trust that he is immutable. That means unchanging. Trust that he is immutable. Malachi 3.6 says, I am the Lord, I change not. Matthew 24.35 tells us that heaven and earth will pass away, but God's word will never pass away. So God's very word that he has spoken will, is unchanging and it will not, it will not pass away. It will, it will continue for eternity. Isaiah 55.11 tells us that God's word will not return empty, but it will accomplish the purpose for which he sent it. God's character of holiness and righteousness will not, God cannot compromise his character of holiness and righteousness. So when God speaks something, when God makes a promise, it will come to pass. God, God does not make promises um, that fail. God does not make promises that are empty. When God speaks his word, it's truth that will not fail. It will come, it will complete its mission. And so we, we see from Isaiah 55 that God is immutable. His, his word, the things he speaks are not going to change. His character is not going to change. Now those first four, he's on, he's, all-knowing, all-powerful, he's everywhere present, and he's unchanging. Those in and of themselves should be plenty for us to be able to trust him, to be able to say, I don't know what the future holds. I don't, you're calling me to something, and I don't know how I'm going to accomplish that. I don't know, you know, how, my, how are my needs going to be provided for? How am I going to know that I'm going to the right place? Th- but those four things, that he's all-knowing, he's all-powerful, He's everywhere, and he's unchanging. Those in and of themselves should encourage us to be able to trust with any uncertainty of of the unknown. But there's more. Number five, trust that while we only see a small piece of the puzzle, he sees the whole picture. And he's able to do that because he's everywhere and because he's all-knowing. So not only does he see everything that's going on right now, which is what we talked about um, with Proverbs 15.3. His eyes are everywhere keeping watch. But he's 
He's also all-knowing. He knows everything from eternity past to eternity future. He knows everything that took place prior to creation. He knows everything during the time of creation. And he knows everything that's going to happen in our future. And he knows what's going to happen um, when he takes us to our eternal existence with him in heaven. Number six, trust his promises that are found in his word. Again, he doesn't make a promise that fails. Not one of his promises has ever failed. So trust in his promises. So when you don't know what's going on and you're anxious about it, go back to the promises you see in scripture. Matthew 6, 25. um, Sorry, Romans 8, 28. Romans 8, 28, God works out all things for the good of those who love him. This is one that's hard because it's hard for us to understand how a 32-year-old lady who had had such a global impact for the kingdom, how the best thing for all of us and for her was to be taken in a car accident. We don't understand how a teenager in a local high school who had an impact for the gospel on so many lives should pass away before he even becomes an adult. It's hard for us sometimes to understand that. But if God's all-knowing and all-powerful and everywhere present and unchanging and he sees the whole picture from eternity past to eternity future, he probably does know what's best and we can go back to this and we can say i might not be able to understand it but i trust in you i trust that you work out all things for the good of those who love you hebrews eleven six, faith tells us that faith in uncertain times pleases god and he rewards those who seek him so when we are facing something that is unknown that's giving us some anxiety God says, if you you trust me in that time of uncertainty, that pleases me. And when you are uncertain and you seek after me in the midst of that, I will reward you. Isaiah 64, 4 tells us that God acts for those who wait on him. God is, God loves his children. We are his most treasured possession of all of his creation. And God delights in our trust of him, delights when we trust in him to keep his promises. He delights in our trust of him to, to uh, care for us and take care of us. And he intervenes in our lives. He acts on for those who wait upon him, Isaiah 64.4. Number seven, trust that God is able to provide for your needs. Matthew six twenty five to 34 is where Jesus is teaching and he says, don't worry about the food you're going to eat. Don't worry about the drink you're going to need. Don't worry about clothing because God, God knows you need those things and God will provide those things. But rather than concern yourself and worry about those things, rather than being stressed out about that stuff, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all of those things will be added. You don't need to worry about that stuff. 
You just, your, your concern needs to be seeking after, running after God. Um, Philippians 4.13, I mentioned this earlier. Um, I just didn't reference it, but I mentioned that Paul would write, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Um, again, another verse that's taken out of context many times. Paul is not saying I can do whatever I want because Christ gives me strength. Um, there was a Babylon B article that came out recently that uh, it's satire came out recently and it was summarizing every book of the Bible with one sentence. And the summary for Philippians was I can win sports games through Christ. Because um, this verse is often pulled out of context and, and used to say that I can accomplish whatever I want to accomplish because God gives me strength. What Paul is saying in Philippians is he's saying, I've learned to be content with plenty of food and with no food. I've learned to be content with being when I'm well-clothed and when I'm not, when I'm cold or when I'm comfortable in jail, you know, whatever. Paul went through all kinds of stuff. Paul has learned that God is going to take care of him and provide for his needs, and God is not going to neglect him. And so Paul says, I can do all things, whatever, whatever the situation, I can handle it because God, through Christ, gives me strength. So trust that God's able to provide for your needs. And the last one, trust the Holy Spirit that dwells within you. God's given you his very presence to live in your life, live in your heart. The Holy Spirit indwells people who belong to Christ. So trust him. Trust him to guide you. Trust him to provide for you. Trust him to make sure that, trust him to, that he's going to make sure that um, you know what you need to know when you need to know it. You have what you need to have when you need to have it. The Holy Spirit gives, I'm going to, I'm just going to, these aren't up here. I'm just going to run through four things that the Holy Spirit gives us just as encouragement. The Holy Spirit gives us wisdom. And you can look at examples like Solomon, Stephen, Philip, that were filled with wisdom by the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit gives us counsel. John 14, Jesus himself says that that the Holy Spirit is a counselor. So the Holy Spirit gives us counsel. The Holy Spirit empowers us. And you could look at examples like Samson, where the Holy Spirit would come upon him to accomplish a specific task. Or you can look at people, Peter like, people like Peter and John in uh, the early chapters of Acts when they're before the Sanhedrin and the Holy Spirit gives them boldness of speech and the words to speak to them. You can look at the early church leaders and how the Holy Spirit empowered them to heal people or drive out demons. So the Holy Spirit empowers us. He he gives us a gift to serve the church or to serve the kingdom, and he empowers us to be able to use that gift. And the last thing the Holy Spirit does is he unites the church in support of God's calling, which is the main point of our text today. The Holy Spirit calls us and provides the things we need to accomplish that, and he unites the church behind that calling so that um, there is confirmation there. So trust the Holy Spirit that dwells within you. Those are just eight things that when you begin to see that there's something uncertain that's causing anxiety in your life, um, 
Go back and remind yourself of those things. Um, when we begin to dwell upon God's character, we begin, God begins to help us put things into perspective and things aren't as bad usually as we think they are because we're able to see more of him. And when we see more of him, we understand that we can trust him. Um, Chelsea, the girl that I mentioned in the beginning of the sermon, um, we went to her visitation. Miley and I went to her visitation last week. We were standing by the casket just kind of looking at um, the body that she left behind, talking to her mom. And her mom, her mom is a person who engages you by eye contact. She, she's not somebody who you know, talks to you like this or like this. She engages you with eye contact, but she did not take her eyes off of the casket, but she was talking to us, and she said that uh, somebody once, talking about how Chelsea would go to places that were sometimes not safe, somebody asked her one time, her mom was telling us, somebody asked her one time, aren't you ever afraid? And Chelsea said, yes, but I go anyway. Barnabas and Saul didn't know everything that held that the future held for them. In fact, later on, we find out in Paul's writings that Paul went through some severe beatings and was near death and dealt with death threats and people trying to kill him. Um, they didn't know what the future held for them. There, were, there, there was a lot of details that were uncertain. The uncertainty that was ahead of them could have caused them to have a spirit of hesitation or of fear or of anxiety. But rather than concern themselves with the uncertainties, they trusted what they knew for certain. Rather than fearing what they didn't know, they trusted what they did know about the one who called them to go. Which is why I, when, when I begin to fear something, I try to take my mind back to what do I know about God? Because that puts things into perspective. When we are obedient to Christ, and as a result of that obedience, there's uncertainty that lies ahead of us. Trust the one who did not abandon you in your state of sinful rebellion. Trust the one who left heaven and came to earth and died on the cross for your sins came back to life on the third day. Trust the one who dwells within you. Because those things that God did for us, redeeming us through the sacrifice of Christ and indwelling us with his Holy Spirit, he did not do those things so that we would live in fear of the uncertainties of life. He did those things so that all of us, like all my entire being, your entire being, so that all of us would be fully satisfied in all of him. Let's pray. God, we thank you for those things that we looked at today in the sermon, those things that tell us who you are, that remind us of your promises, the things that help us to put things into perspective. When we begin to fear, if you call us to a ministry and there's unknown and it causes anxiety, or if you call us... Um, to trust in you with a, an uncertain future of any sort. Um, remind us of those truths. 
And as you remind us of those truths, God, help us to have your perspective on the situation. Um, Because when you do that for us, when we're able to see things through your eyes, things make sense. Fears go away. Your perfect love, John tells us, your perfect love drives away fear. And we're able to trust in you more because you remind us that you are trustworthy. In Jesus' name, amen.